Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network, baby, and we're here <laughs> to talk about some honker honker episodes of the movie that is... Oh, I, I was trying to do an impersonation that didn't really work. Uh, it is the Oz Network, <laughs> and we are back for another spoiler-free review. Oh, I spoiled it for you. Elvis is in this movie. Uh, I'm sorry to ruin it. We're here to review... The latest Baz Luhrmann movie, it's called Elvis, and it's about, hey baby, Elvis, honka honka. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what honka is. Um, one of these movies that I think we always saw the trailers for, and we're like, oh, that looks really good, I'm looking forward to talking about it, and it's out now, and we've seen it, and we're here to talk about it, that's why we're here to do a spoiler-free review, which is exciting, because that's what we do here on this show. My name is Ben, and... There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this podcast, and that'd be right. And my name is Colin, and without me, there would be no Ben Waterworth. Wow, it's very Darth Vader of you, very Emperor Palpatine. I didn't realize he was in this movie, so, yep, cool. Uh, Elvis, Colin, um, now Elvis. I, know you, I know you love your music biopics. Um, <laughs> the last time we did one of these, that turned out to be a fun episode, and... <laughs> Oh, I hate Bohemian Rhapsody. It's so shit. And I loved it. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking forward to how this is going to turn out. So I'm not even going to say anything. I'm going to ask you straight away. What did you think of Elvis? Because I'm scared for your review right now. Well, well, first, let me say, I like good biopics. And most biopics are pretty good. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody was not. Um, there are some similarities between this and Bohemian Rhapsody where I feel like this does it right. <laughs> this is a movie just saying we're being a movie. We're not trying to tell fact and make up some story that's really lame. We're going to tell semi-fact and make up a fictionalized story that's actually quite entertaining. And uh, I think more than anything, it, it's it's a big screen experience. And it, it's funny, you mentioned like, oh, we saw that so long ago. And we kept saying, you know, let's uh, let's do Elvis when it eventually comes out. This was basically delayed as long as Top Gun was. And this is one of the other few holdouts from the beginning. I mean, we really had three movies that were holdouts for, that were supposed to open when the pandemic started over two years ago that insisted we're going to do this theatrically. There was no time to die. There was Top Gun. And now there's this. And they said, we're not going to do any type of streaming. We're going to do this theatrically. And, and e even when this movie was coming out, it was like being promoted as only in theaters. And I, I sort of wonder, I'm like, you know, it's a biopic. Like, does it need to be on the level of Top Gun Maverick or No Time to Die as far as theatrical? And yes, it does. Like, not just for the musical sequences, which I was really excited about, 
But just what Baz Luhrmann does for this movie, I mean, to me, this was Moulin Rouge with Elvis music um, and a lot of Eminem and other stuff too. Uh, you know, this was 100% a Baz Luhrmann movie. And the fact that it's a biopic is almost secondary because I, I feel like what, what's great about this movie is that you don't get so caught up in, oh, they need to show this part of it. It's like, they don't care so much about the, the little details of how did this song come to be? And what about this moment? They're like, yeah, we're going to check a few boxes, but we're just going to focus on a couple of areas of his life, kind of condense these three sections and then just tell a character story. And that's what I think really worked about the movie. I, I, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it too, Colin. Yay, we Yay. agree on this because you you now, didn't. Can like... we agree about Bohemian Rhapsody now? No, Bohemian okay. Rhapsody, Rhapsody is a great film. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Um, because you never did uh, Rocket Man, did you? You no, you didn't. Have you seen it yet? Have you seen Rocket Man? Still haven't seen it. Still haven't. See, oh, I'm intrigued to see what you think about that. But um, you know, I love this. This was so much fun, and it was such a great movie to see on the big screen. And it, I, I guess I kind of went into it thinking it was going to be more Bohemian Rhapsody, like more of like a tale of his life. And it's, I guess it's 70% a tale of Elvis's life. But like, as you said, they kind of Baz Luhrmann it up a little bit. I mean, you know, like we talked about like, oh, the soundtrack's got like Eminem on it. What what are they going to do with that? But they don't really use Eminem in the film. They use it on the credits. But there are definitely some moments in the film where they're using like modern music. And you're like, oh, this mm-hmm. is this is strange. But they do it in a way that works. And Again, very Baz Luhrmann-y. Um, but it was just, it was a fun movie. I can see why they wanted to hold this. It's such a big screen movie. Um, you know, I I like Elvis. I, I wouldn't say I'm a massive Elvis fan. It's not like I went into this like I did with Bohemian Rhapsody where I'm a big Queen fan. I'm a, probably more of an Elton John fan than I am of Elvis fan. So I knew a bit more about Elton John going into Rocket Man. But I know enough about Elvis and liked enough of his music to go into this with some sort of you know, knowledge of him. But I think what really stood out for me just in kind of how this film comes together is it's entertaining. Yeah, you kind of come out of it and you look up a few things and you're like, well, that wasn't true, that wasn't true, that's a bit awkward, maybe they shouldn't have done that, whatever. (laughs) And then also you come out of it going, holy fuck, Austin Butler is amazing. Um, This guy is incredible and I know you're an idiot because you don't like Rami Malek as (laughs) Freddie Mercury and I thought he was brilliant, thoroughly deserved his Oscar. Um, what's his face uh, who played Elton John? I thought it was brilliant. It was robbed for not getting an Academy Award nomination for that. But I'm saying right now, Austin Butler trumps both of them. He was absolutely incredible. And I'm saying this right now, the guy's hot. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> oof, I hope Jamie felt the same things as well because, um, yeah, I, I'm really into Austin Butler after this. He was great. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, well, let's add Tom. Like, here's the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Choking Colin. Off. We're awesome. Butler. <laughs> uh, oh, so hot. He just makes me want to choke. <laughs> but uh, Tom Hanks, like, it, it, I have to say, it it is the weirdest performance I have ever seen in a movie because I spent the first half of this movie, there were moments where I was legitimately laughing out loud for the wrong reasons at Tom Hanks' performance. I'm like, it is so campy. It is so over the top. It's so ridiculous i don't know what's going on with this accent that is that is not a real accent nobody talks like this and then about halfway through the movie i'm like it's not so bad it's bad it's so bad it's brilliant and i think that was his intention like that this is the baz lerman thing about it like we're gonna make a biopic we're gonna kind of do right by elvis we want him to be a deep character we want him to be you know uh, complex and and very subtle, like what, what Austin Butler does is, is very subtle in this movie. It's not about these big, you know, speeches and everything he has. It's just the subtleties he has and, and how much 
emotion he brings to these performances. But with Tom Hanks, it's it's almost like like he's he thinks he's in a comedy, but he's not in a comedy. But then halfway through the movie, you're like, this really does work. And I don't know why I still can't put my finger on how Tom Hanks delivered what you think is the worst performance of Tom Hanks' career. And then you come out of being like, that might be the most fun thing Tom Hanks has done in 20 years. Because he's amazing. He's Tom Hanks. He can yell at people (laughs) on New York streets and you still love him. And again, friendly reminder, Will Smith is still cool. All right, just stop it. Stop hating on Will Smith because he's fine. We will fix that in a few months' time. Reclaim Will Smith. Hashtag reclaim Will Smith. But I, I agree with you and it's it's kind of I did some reading afterwards on, you know, things that were true or not. And apparently the Tom Parker like did not have an accent like this. Like they just I think that was Baz Luhrmann literally saying, like, hey, let's give him a funny accent because that will make him more evil <laughs> from what I can read is what have happened. Um and it kind of works because like, you know, oh give him a European accent, he'll be evil. But um yeah, because like some of it and that's the way, like, it's just portrayed is that, like, it's, some of it seems so ridiculously over-the-top, unbelievable. He's almost like a Bond villain, which doesn't mm-hmm. really seem to work in a biopic. But, I mean, from what I have read, the majority of what happened is true with how he kind of stiffed Elvis with a lot of the money and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's some creative difference, licensing, like, there's certain things that have been done, you know, that didn't happen, as always is the case in biopics, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, Freddie Mercury didn't tell anyone he had AIDS, so the whole thing before they got on stage is not true. But anyway, they add that. So there's a few things in this that they don't, obviously, didn't happen. But, yeah, and it's kind of like, I think I've, I've read, a few complaints I've read is where people have said, like, oh, you know, I don't like the fact that this is told from Tom Hanks' perspective and it's not really about Elvis. And it's like, well, mm. it starts a bit that way. But then, like, no, I think it turns into Elvis. Like, that's kind of the thing that's done in a way which kind of works when it's, no, and like I like the use of like flashbacks and just certain ways they do it. It's not just a Elvis was born, Elvis discovered music, Elvis picked up a guitar, Elvis recorded. Like you kind of skip a lot of that. There's, I mean, there are definitely mm-hmm. moments in this movie where it does feel a bit rushed and you're kind of like, whoa, okay, how did we get to there? But it also kind of works because it's also a Baz Luhrmann film. So this is kind of what Baz Luhrmann does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, first of all, on uh, some of the inaccuracies, like like you said, Everything that they really tell in this movie about Tom Parker and Elvis's relationship or their business partnership is true. But then when you read the real story, you're like, well, it's, he's not necessarily the bondman. Like the, the big deal was, oh, he he insisted on 50 percent of Elvis's money. And then I did some research and I'm like, he actually reduced his fee from the Elvis's previous man- management uh, who had 50 percent. I mean, for the majority of their career, Tom Parker had only 30 percent, which is about half of industry standards. So mm. if anything, if this is the Colonel Tom Parker story, they're going to be like, he was making 50% of what any other manager was making out there. Uh, so like, they, they, but what they do is they decide let's take this and let's, because this is a story about their bizarre partnership and, and what does work between them and what doesn't work. It's really about their conflict. You want to up that and you want to make, and this is why this movie works over Bohemian Rhapsody because Bohemian Rhapsody creates fictional drama with things that never existed, but they present it like this is a real world thing. And it's just, I I said on that review, it's bad drama. It's like VH1 behind the music drama. It's not captivating. And what they do here is they're like, we're going to go over the top. We're going to make it where he's a Bond villain and he's signing contracts while he's on stage, signing his life away, which again, if you read the real story, not completely (laughs) the way it happened, we're going to create scenes. Like there's a great scene in this movie where, where Elvis fires him on stage 
And the real story behind that was that Elvis was actually being an abusive drunk to somebody else and Tom Parker called him out and he fired him for that. But we're going to create this conflict of a villain and a hero. But because this movie is so outside of reality, the way that he directs this is so outside reality, you accept the fact that this is a very twisted, you know, reality-based story because the movie's presenting it like it's a, you know, Bond movie. <laughs> They're presenting it like this is an over-the-top villain holding this man down. And yet at the same time, like, it, it, it's not trying to be forgive. That was the other problem I had with Bohemian Rhapsody is that they basically made up a bunch of junk about how Freddie Mercury was a jerk, but then nobody in the movie would call him out on being a jerk. In this movie, they almost say Tom Parker's to blame for a lot of Elvis's problems, but nobody's blaming Tom Parker for it. They're still like, you know, Elvis, you're responsible. And I, I, I think that it's, it's a fair biopic, even if they are twisting things around for everybody. And, and the fact is you're not going to be able to do a movie like Ray, you know, where, where Ray is a very gritty real world biopic about a very flawed man. And you can't do that and have people come. Elvis is an icon on the level of the Beatles. Really, there's Elvis and the Beatles. Whoa. So the only two true icons. Wow. Roger Moore? What? <laughs> He's no, I said more, but it's probably oh, more. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, before he man, came before yeah. the Beatles. So he was like the third. Exactly. Guy. He's the original. Yeah. But like, those are the two people, like, no matter how bad they are in real life, you know, their fans are not going to want to accept that they are like Ray Charles, you know? or like Johnny Cash, uh, or like in the fictional world, Freddie Mercury. But but in this movie, like the fans will never accept him as a bad guy. So let's create this ultimate villain the way that a lot of fans want to believe it is. You know, that they created a movie that is almost like, this is the fantasy world of what fans want to believe went down. And that's, it's very Rocketman-y. Like, again, you haven't seen it, but like Rocketman kind of, goes a bit fantasy kind of in the musical side of things. But and also I think, too, it's important with any biopic, you're never going to get 100% accurate, um, you know, because generally it's not as exciting, it's not that great, and you'd probably end up with a movie like First Man. And, I mean, let's be honest, yeah. remember that? <laughs> yes. Remember First Man? That's wow. a perfect example. <laughs> taking, a, taking a biopic about a guy who did an incredible thing but life was not that interesting – you need to create something interesting. That's like the it. Colin Hilding story. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> did a couple of podcasts and had a couple of kids. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, like, I think that's an important thing, too, what you're talking about, like, the level of Elvis. I mean, you know, we, we've got this new thing now where biopics are obviously a big thing. You know, Bohemian Rhapsody, then we had Rocket Man. we've got this, it's the I Want to Dance with Somebody, Whitney Houston thing coming out this year, which I'm, you know, I'm down for that. Sure, go Whitney. Uh, I know you love your Madonna, but they're in the process of making a Madonna one and who's writing and directing I'm- it? The Queen herself. So you know that's going to be completely not yeah. biased towards everything <laughs> positive. I, don't, like, I love her, but I don't know about her writing and directing her own movie. Like, I mean, that, it's very Ben Waterworth. I know. I was gonna say there's a Ben Waterworth. <laughs> like it's just I don't know. And like, like I I mean I'm surprised we've never. I mean I know we've had like movies like Beatles movies, but like that's one I'm surprised we've never kind of had like the full on Beatles biopic. That would yeah. be the next one. And the other one is Michael Jackson. I mean that would be a very tricky one. I saw the Michael Jackson musical in Broadway. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, and like if they turn that into a movie, I think that would work fantastically. Um, but like you think about these massive icons, no disrespect to Queen, no disrespect to Elton John, Whitney Houston, you know, um, but you've got these people who 
blow up the stratosphere in terms of how big they are and Elvis is one of them. And mm-hmm. you're right, like you sum that well where you turn around and say like, people are never going to buy this guy as a villain. And, like, you read into a lot of the things about this guy. Like, I, I actually didn't realise that him and Priscilla broke up. I thought they were married till he died. No. He was off cheating on her. She was off cheating on him. Um, when he met Priscilla, she was 14 and he was 24. <laughs> no one talks about that, well, do they? And, <laughs> and, and another thing another thing that you know, I found interesting, because I mentioned that during the movie, I, I said to Jamie, I'm like, it's, it's, it's very funny that they chose not to dwell on the fact that he's – committing statutory rape with this girl. And yeah. she was like, well, it was a different time. I told her it wasn't a different time. And I got home and I read her the story. I'm like, and this yeah. is where you could have made Tom Parker the hero because Elvis basically was living with and sleeping with this underage girl for four years. Well, apparently they didn't Tom- have sex until they were married though. But, oh, you know. yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but but Tom Parker was the one who's like, no, 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 no. Like, you got to fix this. Get married to the girl or your career will be over. But uh, but yeah, like they, they choose to leave out or gloss over some of these things because, you know, what fun is there going to be in a movie? Like, you want to make a fun movie if you're making a biopic. And we've had these biopics and I love walk the line walk the line maybe is the greatest music biopic in history I that. that wasn't too bad it, it's it's an incredible story but like it is a heavy movie and yeah. I think especially now for two years post pandemic like we want fun movies again we want Top Gun Maverick you know and getting an Elvis movie that's like we're gonna make a fun movie and we're yeah you're gonna see that like he wasn't a perfect guy but we're going to make him a hero somehow. I mean, that that's important to do for a movie like this. And people can always read the real story if they want. Uh, and they could watch the Jonathan Reese Myers version or the Kurt Russell version and get the full story. It was, it was like, um, uh, the greatest showman, uh, you know, obviously the mm. real guy that Hugh Jackman played was an absolute dick. Um, but who cares? Cause it, Great Showman was a great movie. I don't know if you enjoy The Great Showman, but uh, it was a great Not movie. as a movie. Yes, the soundtrack, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I enjoy both. Uh, but, yeah, in real life, the guy was an absolute dick. Um, <laughs> good comparison because very similar to this, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not saying Elvis is on the level of the guy in The Great Showman, but, like, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, there are things there. But it's – and but like, who else could have done this besides Basil? I mean, this is only his sixth movie. Like, that's kind of crazy yeah. that he's done that. And what an Australian. Can I just say that? What a what an Australian. We need to talk more about him being Australian. Um, but, I I mean, I'm, I'm... Unless we talk about him with Australia. That's hey, shut one. up. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> we we should do a Baz Luhrmann month. I mean, there's only six of them. Uh, I don't know. How big was Strictly Ballroom in your part of the world? It... it- it's one of these things where it was, uh, I remember when it came out and like seeing posters, I mean, it was too young to watch it, but seeing posters, like it was a fairly big deal. It wasn't like Moulin Rouge massive success, but by the time Moulin Rouge came out and it would say the director of Strictly Ballroom, most people would be like, oh, Strictly Ballroom, I think I kind of remember that movie. I mean, not not to the level of Moulin Rouge or Great Gatsby or anything. It was huge, obviously, here. Um, and then obviously Romeo and Juliet was pretty darn big and then mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge. Australia, well, say what you will. I loved it. I know a lot of people didn't. Um, I, I don't really know what The Great Gatsby's reputation is nearly 10 years later. Um, was that the movie that 50, killed 50. Tobey Maguire? Um, but <laughs> um, I, I've never seen it. That's the only. That would be the only Baz Luhrmann film I have not seen. Um, so, But this is the biggest you know gap what? he's ever had between movies, isn't it? What's what, eight, nine years or something? Nine years since Great Gatsby. And the biggest one prior yeah. to that was seven years between Moulin Rouge and Australia. You know what's interesting is that when you look at particularly Moulin Rouge, Great Gatsby and this, what he's proven he can do is take, and it's not just the use of music, but he's able to take 
period films and make it in a way that's accessible for modern audiences where, cause even if you're into period, like I don't mind period films, Jamie, I know loves period movies. Like she, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, she will watch it just because it is a period drama or whatever, but even still you make it like this and it feels different and it feels modern. It feels special. And he takes these period movies like great Gatsby is a perfect example. That should be a dry thing. That should be people where they're like, Oh, we had to read that when we were in school and I don't want to watch a movie, but then he makes it so flashy and so exciting. And that's the same thing he does here. I mean, there's without getting into too many details of the sequences, you know, there, there's one sequence of this movie, which I think is, is probably the best sequence of the movie. And it's uh Really, we have three sections and we just quickly talk about <clears throat> how this movie's broken up. The first act, which is really covering the early stuff of his career. Again, they're not focused on, let's find out how this song came to be. Let's find out how he got signed with a major label and the stuff with Sun Records and all that. Instead, it's all about that first performance where he performs on stage and he's shaking and Baslerman is focusing on his dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and basically you're seeing it flop around in his pants and you see this girl essentially have an orgasm. Like that sets the stage oh, you learn for what the that first is. act of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I learned it from Elvis because I have the same feeling watching it flop around. Who uh, doesn't? But, uh, Austin Butler. <laughs> but, uh, but that's really the first act of this movie. It's all just about the controversy of the guy swiveling his hips. Like it is, it is intentionally very sexual. And that's what they want this movie to be about. And then it, it really culminates with one big sequence where he's being told, you can't do this anymore. And he has this mass performance from like 10,000 people. And he it does the song true. Trouble. Yeah, but like the song, because the song Trouble came like years later in a movie he did. But yeah. but like the way he performs that song, like that tells you why Austin Butler is so good. It doesn't have to be about delivering the big speeches. It's just about a performance and what you do. And the way that sequence is shot, the way that the, the slow motion is used, watching people's reactions, watching his reactions, like that encompasses what is so great about this movie. We're going to take not a historical moment, but take what our storyline has been, what Baz Luhrmann decided to script for a third of this movie and have it climax with this incredible performance that, that, that not only ties everything in that first act together, but sells so much about the Elvis character and all the other characters better than you could have done with a big dialogue speech or, you know, some big monologue. Which I think I love that section because I remember I did a, during my degree, I did a rock history uh, class and they learned a lot about sort of obviously the early days of rock and roll and just how controversial Elvis was. And like, it's all well known, the the TV performance it's seen in this movie with his hit. And like, it sounds so stupid now, 70 years later, that a guy just wiggles his hips a little bit. Like, I was in New York and I went to the Museum of Sex, Colin, the Museum of Sex. <laughs> and they had a whole like section about like sex in pop culture. And they had a whole sort of section on music each decade talking about like, you know, all the controversies and all that sort of stuff. And looking at like freaking, you know, 2010s and all this kind of stuff, you basically got people fucking on screen. Great, awesome. Whereas like in the 50s, you got a guy with a large penis in tight pants moving his hips slightly. And it was like, oh my God, no, we're going to hell. Um, and like, but like, I love how you see that because again, we laugh at that now, but that was a big deal back then, mm -hmm. uh, that that kind of thing was happening. And, um, 
I loved kind of how they portrayed it, even though there was some stuff there that was slightly fictionalized. But no, like, I mean, it's it's commonly known that Elvis the Pelvis, the nickname, that that one TV broadcast, that basically from that moment on, they were never allowed to film Elvis below the hip. Like, everything had to be mm-hmm. chest up for Elvis because he moved his doodle around a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's it's ridiculous to think that nowadays. But, um, but like, yeah. I think what, what this movie... It doesn't come right out and say it, but I feel like what this movie does well is it explains to audiences it's 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 all about exposure and the fact that people yeah. have been desensitized over the years, you know? Like this movie skips over the 60s. And when it jumps back everyone, into it, everyone's high in the season. No one might as well. <laughs> what are the but 60s? It, <laughs> but like it's actually very curious that they they decide to skip all of the 60s and then kind of land you back in 1968, where suddenly out of nowhere, this all became normal again. Mm. because of the hippie culture and all that. And, and again, they don't come out of their way to tell you this is what it is, but you now put Elvis in the time period where this all overnight almost became normal and people are walking around naked in the streets and at Woodstock or whatever, and nobody's batting an eye. And it's, it's simply just that people got desensitized to it. And it's funny because they don't actually draw the parallel, but like that started with Elvis. And yeah. in reality, if, if, if it were 2022 right now and nothing like this had ever happened, and you had, you know, somebody like Elvis, you had Harry Styles or somebody else out there right now doing the same thing. People would react the same way. It's just it, 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 you slowly over the years built up a sensitivity to it. I can remember even the 90s. Like, do you remember the controversy around like Britney Spears? And this is well, like pre, yeah. pre-toxic Britney Spears. We're talking like baby one more time. It's like, whoa, was, a teenage girl. <laughs> I was about to say there are two moments in my life that helped me reach puberty. One was Attack of the Clones when Natalie Portman got a thing torn <laughs> off and the other was Britney Spears' baby one more time film clip. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. I, I, another one, like even going back before that, I remember it, it wasn't a controversy, but like uh, um, pre what I was aware of, there was like Bobby Brown and new edition. Like they were singing songs about sex and they were out there doing the Elvis sex and like Bobby Brown and new edition were considered controversial. And then you jump ahead to, I always found it funny. I didn't realize it until years later, but boys to men became the big thing for a while. They're like, "Mm." boys to men. Now known as men to old. (laughs) (laughs) Men to geriatric uh, coming soon. (laughs) But, (laughs) but like they were never controversial. And really, if you look song, at the songs, I they were make love to you. Yeah, like, like their songs, I know. Was that the song? Literally, was that yeah, it was. Yeah, but literally every song Boys to Men wrote was about sex. And yet sex. no parent had a problem with their teenage daughters listening to Boys <laughs> to Men because they, they well, went out they there. And, they were beautiful. Well, but that's they went out there in sweater vests. And again, that's that's what's so interesting about this movie and why Baz Luhrmann decided. <laughs> they went out there in sweater vests. Those bastards. <laughs> No, no, no. What I'm, what I'm getting at is that, <laughs> that that's really what the first act of this movie is, is why it's focusing on the hip movements is because you go decades later and Bobby Brown is controversial for basically thrusting his hips still and singing about sex. Boys to Men are singing blatantly about sex. It, their songs might as well say, this is our new single, Sex. And yet mothers were like, oh, those are the those are the men that I Look want my daughter sweet to be. Because they're in. Because they're in sweater vests and they're not thrusting their hips. Well, it's, but like yeah. musically, so much more sexual with boys to men than anything Elvis or New Edition did. And yet those are the controversial. Why? Because they're sexualizing their movements. And that that's really what this movie's about for the first act. Yeah. We I mean we long were the days of Perry Como, you know, seeing <laughs> yeah. in his car. Um, but what was that when I was a uh, like I would have been like five or six. 
Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, yeah. I remember my mum was like, oh, no, you can't listen to that radio station, Ben, because they play that song about sex on the radio. No, 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 no. Which is actually like a very sex-positive song. It's not talking about the act of sex. But, um, I mean, again, bringing up the Queen, Madonna in the 80s, like she... Mm -hmm. I helped sexualize pop music to the extent that we have today. And then, like, there are so many songs now that you just, again, they're sold Anaconda. as, like... Well, well, that's overly sexual. But I'm thinking of, like, certain songs now that, like, as a kid you're listening to, like, Christina Aguilera, Genie in a Bottle. If you want to be with me, you got to learn to rub me the right way. Like, I mean... <laughs> Colin, I'll explain that to you off air, but like it's 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 not very nice for like a ten year old to be singing. Um, but Elvis just gyrated his hips a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Very very wrong. But it's you, you mentioned Harry Styles. I was reading the people who were up for this role were Harry Styles, <laughs> Ansel Elgort, Miles Teller, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. But Austin Butler apparently Ugh. got the role um, because he sent himself in an audition tape, sending uh, singing Unchained Melody. And also uh, Denzel Washington called up Baz Luhrmann and was like, hey, hire this guy. So when, when oh, Denzel's calling you. Denzel was in the running. <laughs> uncanny, uh, the resemblance there. But, I mean, like, the thing that I just think gets so, like, sold so well with Austin Butler is he looks like him, he sounds like him, the singing he's like him. I mean, I'm not taking – I love Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, but they initially cast out of Sasha Baron Cohen – I always mm-hmm. think Sasha Baron Cohen looks more like Freddie Mercury than Rami oh, yeah. Malek. And, like, there was a whole... That that was going to be a much darker film with Sasha Baron Cohen. I think that's why he left, because they weren't going the dark route that he wanted to go. That would have been fascinating. I still stand by that would have been an amazing film, even more so than what we got. But, like, I just... I don't know if I've ever seen a biopic where somebody is so uncanny. I just I just watched Pam and Tommy. I don't know if you probably even... It's got a lot of sex in it, Colin. Um, but both Lily James and um, what's his name? Sebastian Stan were so good as Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. So uncanny and acted so well. That and this, like this year, like two performances, well, three performances that I've seen this year that are so almost spot on to that person. Uh, it's, it's so uncanny. And I know it's early. I know we're, what, June? We're still like seven, eight months away, but, I mean, surely he's got to be favor right now for an Oscar for this. This is absolutely brilliant. You know what's unusual is that I've, I've, and this isn't just a Bohemian Rhapsody thing. I've had the same complaint multiple years after that, but I'm so over people winning or getting nominated for Oscars just for doing good impressions, you know? Um, it, you, when you look at even Jamie Foxx winning for um, the, the Ray Charles movie, you know, hey, yeah, it's a very good performance, but you have to imagine if you didn't know who Ray Charles was, would anybody think that performance was quite at that level? And unfortunately we've also had, you know, uh, we, we had Rami Malek winning for doing a good impression of Freddie Mercury. We had Renee Zellweger winning for doing a good impression of Judy Garland. Like I'm just, I'm so over people getting awarded for doing good impressions. I walked out of this movie, not feeling like I saw a guy do an Elvis impression. In fact, uh, we talked about this before the movie came out, like the, the, the scenes of him and young Elvis, I actually don't think he looks like Elvis that much, but I think he plays Elvis so well. But to me, what's more important is that he was playing a character. I didn't feel like he was doing an impression for Lost Movie because an impression of Elvis, I mean, everybody knows it. You know, but like, what is that? A honka honka. Honka honka honky. Oh, baby. 
But like he's everyone so does minimalized. it. He so minimalizes that. And even with like the early stuff in the movie, like he's not doing the over the top lip curl. You know, he's got the black hair, but it's not quite the Elvis hair yet. Like what I felt like was we were watching this kid. And I think that's what's most important. I was actually surprised when I saw that Austin Butler was 30 years old. Uh, wow. You know, I mean, arguably when, know when this movie, it, this movie was like two, three years ago when they made it. So 27, 28. But like to me, what works so well is that I felt like I was watching kind of this insecure without, again, being obvious, this insecure um, at times slightly cocky, but mostly insecure young kid. And mm. he nails this, the kid so well, like I believe the age progression and it's not just the makeup. Like as he gets older, I feel like he becomes more and more Elvis like because, you know, they, they they start adding some makeup and all that, but he never becomes an Elvis impression. That's why I love this performance so much. And it would almost sound weird to say like, okay, this is you know, obviously not the level of like Joaquin Phoenix as, as uh, you know, um, Johnny Cash or Jamie Foxx's Ray Charles. I mean, yeah, there's not as much dramatic stuff you can do at that level. But to me, it's how well he was able to portray this character without going over the top. And I don't, I can't think of any other biopic where somebody didn't have to go over the top. I mean, you're, you're portraying these iconic people. And if anything, Austin Butler actually decided to go under the top, <laughs> um, under the bottom. Uh, he, he's, he's basically saying, I am going to be so subtly Elvis. You're not going to notice that this is an actor playing Elvis. That's what works so well with him. That's a good point. And one thing I was disappointed though with him, when we got fat Elvis, wasn't that fat. I wanted more yeah. of a fat Elvis. Like it was, it was more like mildly obese Elvis. Like I wanted fat Elvis. Like you know, this is like, like he, he's had one too many cookies, Elvis, and not he's had one too yeah. many cookies for ten years, Elvis. A bit bloated, Elvis. Um, yeah, not not the know. sixteen cheeseburgers a night and fried banana sandwiches. Because you see the the end, they like show like actual footage of Elvis when he was yeah. fat Elvis, and you're like, okay, well there he is. Um, but like <laughs> now that's fat Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me my fat. I want I want I want the sequel, Fat Elvis. Baz Luhrmann's first sequel. Elvis coming the soon. fat years. <laughs> I want to see him on the toilet eating cheeseburgers when he dies. Um, <laughs> but, like, outside of, um, obviously, Tom Hanks and Austin Butler, uh, great Australian cast. Um, did, did you did you notice a certain person in this movie, Colin Hilding? You see Jack Smiggins himself was in this movie? Luke yeah, Bracey? Yeah. <laughs> Here I only is. caught it in the credits too. I'm looking for the credits. Luke Bracy, Jack Smiggins. Jack Smiggins is back. But I mean, um, Richard Roxburgh uh, oh. in this movie, David Wenham, some great Australians in there. Um, the guy who is the, the head of the casino that Colonel uh, Parker's like dealing with. Um, I don't know his name, but he's been, like he back in Home and Away days when I was obsessed with Home and Away. He was like a, a love interest of one of the main characters and he died working on his car. It was really sad. Um, but he's in lots of things. Lots, I mean, this movie obviously was filmed in Australia and so Basil Lerman's Australian, so lots of Australians in it. Um, but the woman who plays Priscilla, Olivia De, De Jong, is it De Jong? Mm-hmm. Um, I had I, not really seen her before, but she was good as Priscilla. I don't know if you much on her, but I um, mean, the, the supporting cast, again, they're not, it's not really... Big names outside of, of course, uh, you know Richard Roxburgh, David Wenham, and, and Jack Smiggins. But I mean, it's they do the job. That's what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. Yeah, um, I think what's interesting about this movie is that it's it's long. It's two hours and forty minutes. This is almost no time way, to though. die length. No, not at all. Uh, but what's even more unusual is that it's made up of two characters. I mean, 
Priscilla is probably the third biggest character in this movie, and she has minimal screen time. I mean, she's Australian. They, they, Olivia the Jones. real Sorry. Priscilla? <laughs> no, the actress who portrays her. In oh, the movie, I, would, I assumed everybody was <laughs> in this movie. But, uh, but yeah, like it, it, they don't really focus a lot on these other characters. Um, but when they, they're there, they count. I mean, Richard Roxburgh is probably the, uh, the, the one that has the most to do in this movie as far as like, you know, uh, a dramatic performance. And, you know, I, I, I think I, I instantly recognized him. I didn't realize he was going to be in this movie. Uh, I almost feel bad though for Elvis's father, because again, this is one of these things where when you read the real story, and again, I'm not opposed to it. Like I, I told Jamie, I'm like, yeah, I know that like half of the stuff in this movie is fictional or it's dramatized, but it doesn't bother me because the, the way the movie is presented in like this fantasy type way. But like, I almost feel bad for the dad because this movie does, portray him almost like he's a bit of a villain too and he's in on it and when again when you read the real story this was the one guy who was trying to get elvis help the whole time like eh, you could have maybe thrown one scene in there for the dad you know uh but uh but i mean everybody was adequate I, and again it's no knock against him it's just this was a movie about two characters and they really just let it be a movie about two characters of everybody in there richard roxborough's you know easily the best uh performance that we get I'm trying to think i thought both Richard Roxburgh and Dave Winneman would have basically been in every Baz Luhrmann film, but according to what I'm seeing here, David Wenham was in Moulin Rouge, and I know he's in Australia because he was like one of the villains in Australia, um, but wasn't in Great Gatsby, Romeo and Juliet, or Strictly Ballroom, and apparently Richard Roxburgh was only in Moulin Rouge. I thought Richard Roxburgh would have been in Australia. I mean, every that was like Harry Potter. Every British actor was in Harry Potter movie at one point. I thought every Australian actor was in freaking Australia. I was in Australia, I think. <laughs> He had a big like year or two there, thanks to Australia or, or American movies in Australia, because he had Mission Impossible 2 and Moulin Rouge back to back. And I always wondered why he didn't become a bigger star, because when you look at Richard Roxburgh, like, he, to me, he looks like a movie star. And he's he had huge these two. The, he, he, I think he just kind of came back to Australia and like he's always that guy who will end up being in like a very critically acclaimed TV show or movie in Australia. Like he did um, Rake was he like, I think he did. Oh, I, I yeah. never watched oh, the show. But, yeah. But he, I think he did that for about a decade and like, he was winning awards left, right and center for that. Um, so yeah, you know I know what? he's always come back to Australia and mainly, maybe he's just like one of these guys who are just like, yeah, I'll do a Hollywood movie every now and then, but I like to stay in Australia. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a weird comparison, but uh, um, we covered the, um, in the Australia vs. Canada month, the, the curling movie, Men with Brooms, that was Richard, written, directed, and starring Paul Gross, who's basically the way you describe that here in Canada. I mean, he is a guy, you look at him and you're like, this is a movie star. This guy could be the biggest actor in the world. And he did some American stuff, but then he's like, nah, I kind of like working in Canada because they let me do whatever I want. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see more of his Australian stuff because every time I see him pop up in a movie, I'm like, oh, why wasn't this guy a bigger thing? He could have been huge. He's, he's, he's great. And I'm, Looking here at all the awards, he's won Most Outstanding Actor at the Logies multiple times. I mean, the, Logies. the Logies. The Logies. I love that it's called The Logies. They were just on. I just missed them on my way back to Australia, sadly. But uh, multiple award, Logie Award winner, uh, Richard Rocks. I really like David Wenham, too. David Wenham's a guy oh, yeah. who got to gotta love him more. Um, I always remember, um, was it Van Helsing? That was a, a randomly mm-hmm. like, whatever happened to Van Helsing? That that movie was good. I- I'm, I'm seeing the movie and enjoying it. Like I, I'd love to read. I don't know. We're gonna have an anniversary for that in two years. Maybe we'll do it. Uh, or we could add it to a bad movie month because it's considered a bad movie. But like, Is I it? remember being, yeah, I, I remember being very disappointed with that movie when I first saw it, just because I was expecting the Mummy. I mean, it was Stephen Summers, the guy who made the Mummy and the Mummy Returns, 
And I, I'd be interested to revisit it because, I mean, the idea of that movie is so interesting and you've got so many great people in that movie. Like every actor in that movie is somebody that, that always delivers. And I don't think I've seen it since it originally came out. But, yeah, we should revisit yeah. Van Helsing. I, don't, I think I saw it at the movies when I had gone, oh, I like, I like that. And then haven't seen it since. Um, so, that yeah, nearly 20 years ago. But, um, yeah, because which Kate was in that? Was that Beckinsale or Beckinsale, Bosworth? Beckinsale, yeah. It was Beckinsale. I always get those two confused. Oh, she's um, always good. Is she? I don't know. What was those underworld movies? They were fine. I mean, it was, she makes bad movies, but like, what? Here, this is we're on rabbit trail now. But like, Kate Beckinsale to me is like the female Liam Neeson. You know, she's like, I could be a dramatic actress, but I want to be the because she never gets credit for being that first female. Everybody's like, oh, Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman and stuff like that. Kate Beckinsale was doing that for twenty years. Give her some credit. Yeah, and then there's the other Kate Bosworth, um, who. Yeah. <laughs> She was Lois once upon a time. <laughs> also, Anthony LaPaglia was in this movie. I did not recognize Anthony LaPaglia in this movie. He played Bernard Lansky, but I, I did not at all recognize him in this movie. You, you mentioned Kate Bosworth there. This is this. I, I can't believe I, uh, I never connect the dots, but when we're talking about favorite music biopics, I don't know if you ever saw the Bobby Darren one, Beyond the Sea, that Kevin Spacey starred in and directed. Oh, no, I remember it, but I never watched yeah. it. She's in that movie and probably one of the few good performances she's ever given. Uh, to me, this movie was very much like Beyond the Sea and Beyond the Sea is probably my favorite uh, music biopic because again, that movie is like, we're, we're going we're gonna to pretend this movie is sort of halfway in between reality and real world. And again, not focusing on all the life events, but because like this movie, it's not just that opening seek stuff where, you know, it's all about the hip thrusting controversy. Like when they jump ahead, and they're doing just the comeback special for a while. We're focusing on one section. Another interesting fact here, the um, the guy, another Australian actor, the, the guy who plays the director of the TV special, he's on. he was on the TV show Stranger Things. I hated him on Stranger Things. I think he's great here. But uh, the real guy he's playing is Steve Binder. Uh, went on th- this movie, again, how you know this movie is not necessarily all rooted in reality. They're talking about what a genius he is and how he reinvents things. This man, Steve Binder, did all the stuff he did in this movie. He made Elvis's comeback special and then he followed it up and made the star Wars holiday special. Cause I'm like, oh, where do I know that name? Steve Binder. And then I look up like, that's the guy who made the holiday special. George Lucas has been getting the blame for Steve Binder's work wow. for all these years. I got to say <laughs> the Steve the Binder actor, story. The Australian actor you're talking about, his name is Dakray Montgomery. Dakray. Yeah. I thought, da- I, I thought that was like, a normal Australian name. <laughs> Fuck, he's from Perth. I mean, that might explain things. But I mean, Dak, what? What is that? A type of drink? Daiquiri? Like, Daiquiri. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> what the fuck is going on there? Um, the what was you mentioned something there about the oh the um there was a I think I've talked about it a few times before. Like outside of Bohemian Rhapsody, this Rocket Man favorites. I enjoyed Walk the Line. That was good. But um, I, I'd be interesting to have a cover. It was it was a TV movie. They did a two part one on In Excess probably about six or seven years ago here in Australia. Uh, the guy who played Michael Hutchins was brilliant, and that kind of set a Was it J.D. Stand- Fortune? No, it wasn't, but J.D. Fortune, <laughs> a man. I, I, I saw him live when I saw in excess. He was great. I, bring back J.D. Fortune, great Canadian. Um, Canada versus Australia month. There you go. <laughs> but, um, no, that was, a, it was it was it was just called Never Tear Us Apart. There was like a two-part in excess. But, like, that. Re- what reminded me of that was, like, at the end of this where they kind of, spoiler alert, I guess they end on Unchained Melody and kind of it's a bit of a somber ending on Never Tear Us Apart. They end with him, like, doing a piano of Never Tear Us Apart, like, mm-hmm. around about when he kills himself. So, like, it's it was very well done. 
um, just set a weird standard of, hey, let's make biopics in Australia of all famous Australians. So we got the Peter Allen one, which was pretty good. We got a Paul Hogan one, which everybody hated. Uh, we got an Olivia Newton-John one, which I never watched, but apparently it was fine. Uh, so it was just like, let's make biopics on famous Australians. Haven't done one of me yet, but one day, maybe. I don't well, know. Is there a Richard Roxburgh one? <laughs> there isn't, but there should be. There should yes. be. Uh, the one, the, the only thing that I will say that, like, I roll my eyes a few times in this movie. It gets a bit woke in some parts. It's like, okay, did we need that? But, I mean, I guess it's 2022, which, right? We, we which need parts? There was, I mean, there was, like, the way they kind of portrayed the, like, you, you had him, like, watching the shootings of, like, Martin Luther King and, and Bobby oh. Kennedy. And it's like, what did that serve to the story? Like, it was just kind of like, this is all yeah. our issue. And it's like, well, that didn't lead to anything. Like, if that if Elvis was known for, like, Maybe he was. I don't know. For like these big political statements yeah. of when these people died, it just it seemed like it was just put into the movie the case of like, cool, all right, sweet. And then yeah. there was a few other moments sort of like with Elvis's influence in like sort of, you know, certain communities and it just kind of came a bit woke every now and then. It wasn't like in your face this is super obvious wokeness, but there were a few moments there. It's- it was just like, well, what does this serve to do anything? It's funny because I, until you mentioned that, I forgot that was a scene in the movie that kind of backs up your point. Like it doesn't need to be there. But when it was happening, my thought was this is showing that that change in the time period. Because I mean, 1968 is kind of famously known as like the year where everything fell apart. Uh, it, he wasn't a like few a few of them recently. Still in the middle of them, I think. <laughs> Still going. Uh, don't worry. One of these days, this type of wokeness will wash up on a beach somewhere. Um, <laughs> but uh, well played. But but yeah, it's it's not necessary. You're right. Once you finish the movie, you're like, oh, that really didn't need to be. I, mean, I my thought was they're showing the change of the time period. But again, it's all done very subtly. That I get you could have gotten away without it. Unless it's really just there because of the, obviously everybody else surrounding him during that time period was more interested in this. And, and of course they're, they're trying to tell again, fictional story, Elvis wanting to reinvent himself because he's being hold down in actuality. Elvis just, you know, just decided I'm going to be Elvis again. It wasn't like he had some moment because Bobby Kennedy was shot. He's like, I'll put on my leather jacket. Now it's time <laughs> to get like Elvis. Like People are dying out there. Time to curl the leg. <laughs> I'm Elvis. You know what? I'm going to get fat. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> At a protest of Bobby Kennedy dying, I'm eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of every water staring at my penis and humping my hips. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fat. Because it's the 60s. No one likes fat people. Time for my thoughts to swallow that penis hole. <laughs> You're caught, girls. <laughs> but yeah, like once you finish the movie, you're like, yeah, that didn't really need to be there. So I kind of get your point with that. I, what we do get, though, with like the um, uh, the the Vegas years, it's weird because I, I keep looking back. I'm like, that's like a 45 minute section of the movie all in the Vegas years. I'm like, what story is really told there? There's not a lot of story that's told there, but again, like he does it so well, like Baz Luhrmann does it so well that you don't realize we've run out of story. <laughs> We're kind of just dragging this up for 45 minutes. And, and also he doesn't really do too many, like I thought this movie would have more of like, and this isn't for once, this isn't me knocking it. The only good stuff in Bohemian Rhapsody was like the live aid stuff. This wasn't like, we're going to end off on massive, massive, the majority of, musical sequences in this movie are sort of cut off halfway through and then they transition yeah. with like you know, a Baz Luhrmann type cut to something else. We get very few, like we have maybe two full performances in this entire movie, 
But like Baz Luhrmann finds a way to tie even the Vegas stuff together where it doesn't just feel like musical performance after musical performance. Which I will say, we were talking about the soundtrack, how it was interesting. I've got the soundtrack and I wasn't blown away by the soundtrack. I think that a little bit disappointed when you listen to it in isolation. It's not really like a soundtrack movie, whereas... Say what you will about Bohemian Rhapsody, the soundtrack is great. The, the Rocket Man soundtrack is great. Like you can just listen to them because they're all these songs and they're great. Whereas, like you know, you know, like the Eminem songs, fine. Um, you know, like the the Doja Cat song is fine. The Maneskin song is kind of crap. Um, you know, there's there's a few things and Chris Isaac not on the soundtrack. False advertising. Well, he, he, no, he is. It's a duet. Um, oh. I gotta find it here. But, like, I, I kind of agree with you because uh, when the credits were playing and that Eminem song was on there, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then I went home and listened to it the next day, and I'm like, wow, this isn't as good as I remember. Like, does this need yeah. credits playing for it yeah. to be good? Like, I didn't quite understand it. I just feel like it's, um, you know, again, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, I listen to that soundtrack to death. Like, you know, Rocketman, you just, it just, they're, they're great soundtrack albums that kind of really do work. Uh, even the Walk the Line. When I watch Walk the Line, I listen to the Walk the Line soundtrack a lot. I was like, ah, Johnny Cash, I'm on board with this. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about the soundtrack where I listen through to it once. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that was cool. I might just put on Elvis's Greatest Hits instead and kind of uh, listen to Co- it. Which Chris Isaac song is it, Colin? Uh, Cotton Candy Land is a duet between oh, Stevie, Stevie Nicks. Nicks and Chris Isaacs. Yeah. Oh, apparently so my version on my iTunes just says Stevie Nicks. I didn't realize Chris Isaacs. So there you go. Um, just before we... Give final thoughts review. I'm just I'm looking. I love I love how they end it. They kind of you know do the usual biopic thing where they put you know some details about the people at the end, and they get there and they're like Elvis remains the most successful solo musician of all time. So I'm looking here. This is the Wikipedia list of the highest selling music acts of all time, and the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight acts of all time. And this is where I think we need to get our movies from. All right. So the Beatles, number one, 600 million, 500 million hours. So a Beatles movie, surely. We need it. Okay. Elvis Presley, 500 million. There you go. Michael Jackson, you know I'm on board with that, 400 million. Elton John, we've had one, 300 million. Madonna, 300 million. It's coming. Uh, Led Zeppelin. Where's the Led Zeppelin movie? That would be all right, 300 million. Your Girl, Rihanna, 250 million. And then Pink Floyd, 250 million. So... You know, uh, anyone there besides Where's... your girl Rihanna that stands out for you? Well, I, is you two not on there? Uh, I was on you two like are in uh, between. So you've got categories here. So you have 250 million or more. That was 250 million or more. The next tier is 200 to 249 million. You two are in the 120 to 199 million category. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at your next tier, so 200 to 249 million, you've got. Eminem with 220 million, Mariah Carey with 220 million, Taylor Swift with 200 million, Queen with 200 million, Whitney Houston coming soon, December this year, 200 million, The Eagles, 200 million, Celine Dion, I want my Celine Dion biopic, yes please, uh, Australia's own ACDC at 200 million, and The Rolling Stones at 200 million. So, um, yeah, Celine Dion, where's that story? My heart will go on, the Celine Dion story. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of boring. Has she faced adversity? I mean, her husband died, but that was sad, but. Ian Dion? Yeah, Ian <laughs> Dion, yeah. I mean, she's His Canadian. That's adversity, on. isn't it? Like, oh, hey, I'm never going to break out into the music scene. <laughs> like, here's the thing. I I actually, I think that the best biopics are the stories that you don't quite think of, like Bobby Darin, Johnny Cash, uh, Ray Charles. 
And this was kind of my complaint with Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm like, okay, I actually understand why they fictionalize half the story because the real story of Queen is not that interesting. And I, I almost feel like most of the ones left, that's kind of where we're at. But then again, you know, it's the ones that you don't know about that could have an interesting story. I mean, well, the Beatles obviously have the most interesting, but I also feel like the Beatles, the few movies that have been made about the Beatles is like, we're going to make a movie about, you know, something like that. The only movie I think that was officially about the Beatles was a movie called Backbeat, which was just about like the pre-success Beatles when they were in Germany. And it was more a biopic of their former member that died. But uh, but like, yeah, it, it's very hard to do a biopic uh, of people who are like these iconic statuses. I mean, Elvis, I'm amazed that they were able to pull this off. So, I mean, Led Zeppelin, is there an interesting story there? I don't know. Rihanna, is there an interesting story? As weird as it sounds, I feel like if Madonna wasn't directing it, the Madonna story might be the most interesting just because it's, of the controversies that she's gone well, through. I, and this is, this is in all seriousness, where, like, I'm a little bit sceptical about a Madonna story done by her because, like, it's not even just the controversies. I mean, she did basically go from a small town to, like, live on the streets of New York and doing everything it took to become famous. So, like, she pounded the streets and slept on the streets and did all that to become the star she did. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just worried how that's going to turn out. You want to you wanna take someone then, all right, that you, you're talking about we don't know about. So let's go to the bottom category here, 75 <laughs> to 79 million records, all right? So Canada's own The weekend. Could we get a weekend? Ooh. You know, like, there you go. The Imagine Dragons story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> How did they imagine some dragons up? I don't know. Um, Luke Bryan, I'm guessing he's a, is he a country singer? I've never heard of him. Um, Christina Aguilera, sure. Usher, the Usher story. I want to know that. <laughs> the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, please. Did Will ever find out if he's I am? Uh, where's Fergie? Um... What's yeah. the name of the third one? <laughs> I think it's Apple Apple Bees, not Apple Bees. Nobody knows or cares. <laughs> what about the Enya story? When are we getting the Enya story? Oh, boy. <laughs> the Barry Manilow story. There we go. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> oh, Brian Adams. I want the Brian Adams oh, story. There's, there's a story. <laughs> that's a man right there. Um... I'm buying anything. Before we do that, are we, anything else to add? No, <laughs> no, I'm buying it too. Yes, I mean, it might be the best movie I've seen this year. I don't know. The Batman was pretty good. Um, what else did we see this year? Top Gun. Top Gun. Oh yeah, Top Gun. I, I didn't. You know, I mean, like different movies. Like, I mean, the Batman's not a movie you're going to put on on Saturday night when you just want to, you know, chill. You know, like yeah. I mean, Top Gun probably yeah, but like I don't know. Like I feel like this is a movie that you just. Yeah, I'm just going to put this on. It's a bit of fun. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if this is the best. Top three. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best, though. I think all three of those movies also fall into the category of how good will they be when you're watching them on a small screen? That's the only yeah, thing that true. I'm curious about. Um, but I, I think what's interesting about this year is that, you know, we've had uh, the last couple of years where we're like, oh, all things considered, I'm pleasantly surprised with some of the movies we've gotten that aren't terrible. This year, we're getting like some incredible movies. Like, I'm, I really hope this holds up and this could go down as like one of the best, you know, blockbuster movie years in history because everything that we're seeing seems to be delivering. And I mean, I'm sure we're going to be incredibly let down now by Love and Thunder and nope. Uh, but uh, <laughs> up until now, I, I don't think I, 
I mean, I love Top Gun. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was so excited for Maverick, but even I didn't expect it to be as good as it is. And the same can be said for Batman and Elvis. I mean, these movies have over-delivered and it's not about expectations. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I didn't realize it was a spinoff movie. Batman and Elvis coming soon. <laughs> I'm Batman the and I'm Elvis, baby. <laughs> the fat years. <laughs> it's one for the Joker, two for the Riddler, three to get ready. It's Catwoman now. I'm Batman. Honka, honka. <laughs> <laughs> just got the Why did you uh, say that name? <laughs> <laughs> the movie uh, you didn't know yeah. you needed. Followed by Hi, I'm Tom Cruise. Thanks for watching Batman and Elvis. <laughs> a lot of people put a lot of effort into Batman and Elvis. And this joke has extended its course. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, but yes, <laughs> to getting to what I was think i was getting at all the movies have been pleasantly surprised uh with how good they are and that they're better than i expected so let's hope that continues on often the motto of this show better than expected i I looked at a an oscar prediction list and it's very early but um i saw the batman on a few lists and possibly top gun Mm. so um i'd probably say the batman more so than top gun but um you never know who knows um so from this point on, I think we've only really got one movie then to review. <laughs> and then I think we've got a bit of a gap until like October, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Thor, Love and Thunder, that's next week comes out. So, um, I mean, it's Natalie Portman and Christian Bale. Who's not excited about that? I mean, you're half there. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just, I guess, one of those movies. It's a Marvel movie. Again, we are just the same with every single Marvel movie. It's like, yeah, sure, it's going to be there. Uh, are you going to rewatch Ragnarok? Are you going to do anything? I'm not. I'm just going to go in and watch it. I'm just get my Natalie Portman fix. That's all I want. I mean, I, I watched Ragnarok a couple months ago, so I don't think I'll do it again. Um, I, I'm i more excited about this than I thought I would be, uh, which is mostly because of Christian Bale. Uh, I think the trailers look okay. Uh, the reviews I'm reading are mostly saying, yeah, it's it's it's, it's what I expect it to be. Uh, but uh, I, I hear, I'll... I'll I'll say it this way. I am not, I'm glad that I'm rewatching the Star Wars prequels right now because they help me to not as be as down on should. Natalie Portman. Right now. <laughs> Go rewatch them. And, and like, honestly, her performances are bad in those movies. I mean, she's, is not good acting, but she still has a likable quality in those. And, and I miss the Aww. old days before she was like, in real in reality such an idiot that you couldn't stand her and she was annoying and terrible and uh and and i also said about her (laughs) and i also missed the days before every movie she made was just complete garbage so i mean uh i I didn't like the first two thor movies she was in this might be the one time she's in a movie in the last i don't know 15 years that uh, is not terrible and that she's not terrible in it so uh maybe yes maybe bring on natalie portman again I think I've got a bit of a confession to make. I think I saw Jackie, and I don't think I've seen any of her newer movies <laughs> since. Um, so. Oh, I really want. We got to add to the bad movie that 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 astronaut oh. movie she did with Lucy in the oh. Sky with Diamonds. I think I started watching that on a plane, and I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, <laughs> I got about fifteen minutes in. I think <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I was like, "No, no, no, nope, um, but, <laughs> nope." <laughs> like, because she did that one with Oscar Isaac, though, that apparently is not bad. It's like a, a sciencey fiction movie. Her and Oscar Isaac mm. hook up. Um, yeah, you know the one. We could do yeah. Natalie Portman pre two thousand month. Um, we could do the Professional. That's a good movie. You like Leon oh, the Professional? Good, yeah. uh, we could do Where Mars the Attacks. Heart Is. 
Anyway, oh, where the heart is? Great movie. Um, the her, what was that one she did? The Israel one, Free Zone. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but you you sent me a fake article the other day about her apparently coming back in <laughs> Star Wars. That was the worst yeah, written article I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I read that. I'm like, Ben's going to love the journalism here. A trusted source. I, 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 just, I just honestly admit that we could put something on the Oz <laughs> Network and people would believe it more. Um, what is this movie she did with Oscar Isaac? I know what I'm talking about here. Um, was it Annihilation? Or Vox, no, Vox Lux. No, Annihilation. It was one of them. Oh, Vox... Vox Lux is one of those movies that no, Vox Lux is a pop one. She was meant to get yeah, nominated for Oscar, and everyone hated it. Yeah, yeah, it looked interesting, and but like most Natalie Portman movies, it came out and it's like garbage. Uh no, it's Annihilation is the one that she did with Oscar Isaac. Oh, that so one was supposed. Yeah, it was supposed to be decent. It's got uh, Tessa Thompson, so she's been in a movie with Tessa Thompson before. Uh, Benedict Wong, there you go. Oh, he's in it. Now I'm excited. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh, and she's currently filming a TV series right now. She doesn't do TV. What's going on, Natalie? Uh, <laughs> She's just got to copy you and Hayden now. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Elvis, go and see it. Uh, Thor: Love and Thunder next week. Sure, probably. I mean, you're gonna see it. It's a Marvel movie. Uh, and 24: Breaking Bad happening. Lost, maybe. And uh, Patreon, you hear about it? We might do an episode of that soon, which we probably are due to do, which is good. Um, but yes, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ben, and I hunger, 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 baby. Mm-hmm. Ben has left the building. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Colin, and I look forward to Colin the Fat Years. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)